Welcome to a podcast on fire on return to a better tomorrow and feel 100%. So after we established unknowingly that we like to analyze uh, actors, at least I, perceived as uh, harmful to the cinema viewing experience, i.e. Alan Tam and George Lamb, those are the actors and singers in question or were, uh, after examination we made actual determinations. So i.e. we're Team Tam in terms of Alan Tam. George Lamb is lame, according to me, and Phil G determined he was all Lamb, baby. So uh, we now tackle another uneven actor that are publicly expressed negativity, befuddlement towards, but also positivity has been has come out of my mouth towards this actor. And he is, and he's also a singer, of course, uh, the face of Young and Dangerous, Chan Ho Nam himself, and he is Eking Chang. And now across nine movies in this coverage, we, we will not do Young and Dangerous, as it's already been um, re- reviewed and disapproved uh, of uh, by me. Uh, but we can still... <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a fan. Uh, but, but it was a good discussion. It was a fair discussion. But we can still find a thread of the pros and cons of Young Ekin versus Old Ekin, as we do a few 90s movies and some post Millennium. And with me on this journey, because we got a good groove, flow, arrangement uh, when it comes to these things, and uh, therefore with me is none other than Phil G of easternfilmfans.co.uk. Big Ikin fan or not, Phil? You know what? Uh, I'm, I'm neither. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this series, and this, this is why. Because these are kind of actors you see in films, but I don't necessarily go out of my way to watch them. So again, Ikin, yeah, I've seen him in this and that. Obviously, Young and Dangerous, you know. It goes without saying, but you know, other films, you know, I've seen him there, but you know, I'd never go, my oh, there's a new film coming out with him to you know, watch. So, again, it's another one of those actors I'm really interested to see and view and watch and see um, how he evolves, if he evolves as an actor, how he, how he is from his earlier films that you know, uh, I won't have seen to um, the, the latest ones that probably those I wouldn't have seen because like I said they're not on the radar so yeah it's going to be interesting it's going to be fun I reckon this one's going to be fun yeah, indeed I haven't mapped out the entirety of the nine movie series because it's necessarily not a given that we'll be doing Storm Riders for instance but may- maybe I'll, I'll, I'll just have to sort of yeah. ma- map it out properly I know where I want to start and where I want to end up and uh, you know uh, from 94 and up until 2017, 2018, or whatever. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. Uh, return to a better tomorrow and feel 100% it is for episode one. And uh, thank you, by the way, and a shout out to listener and POF historian Jay Lee for helping out the show again. As uh, I could only come up with uh, this show being sorted under the name Viking Hour, which is a, an old idea from uh, from the podcast on Fire Archives that never really came to uh, fruition when Stu was still... Uh, on this show, before he willingly left, I didn't kick him out. And by the sounds of it, won't be coming to fruition now either. <laughs> no, we had the idea in our heads, yeah, but uh, I think he was uh, he his uh, um, pursued other interests other than Ikin Chang. I think he sold off most of his collection because he's a dad now, and uh, he's focusing on other things and kids. Uh, Exactly, and uh, so we were supposed to sort of do a breakdown of as many many movies as possible uh, for an hour. And uh, mm-hmm. even though this might run long, longer than an hour, I still thought I'll, I'll bring back the name the Ikin Hour. But Jay thought uh, of uh, because he's more creative in that way. How should we deliver our yay or nays uh, for Alan Tam? It was Team Tam or not Team Tam. That was my idea. Therefore, it's not it's not very uh, like a uh, punchy, you know. But uh, Jay come up with came up with uh, George Lamb was either Lamb or Lame. That's punchy. Uh, and this time it's 
where you know the J for uh, the, the J for <laughs> the J for Ikin is that is Ikin, but the Nay for Ikin is that he's Ikin, or we or we're Ikin. After yeah, having we watched are. it, well, I could be Ikin. I'm telling you what, I could be Ikin. I'm I'm not giving anything away just yet, but yes, um, I like it. Yeah, no, no, big up to Jay. That's that. I like that. I like it. it rolls off the tongue as well. It does indeed. So credit for um, to him for that. And the movie I chose of this episode is the modestly titled "Return to a Better Tomorrow" by Wong Jing. <laughs> Not so typical of Wong Jing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna name it "Return to a Better Tomorrow." <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna be better than a better tomorrow. Let's find out if it is better. Uh, it features Ikin as our uh, gun-toting lead, and uh, also Feel 100% is a comic book adaptation about the trials and tribulations, about um, about being a 20-something, or a Gen X, if you will. And uh, we'll get to it, but first of all, some uh, contact information. This is Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire network, and for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, go to the website, podcastonfire.com. You'll find this show on Hong Kong cinema, new and old. Uh, sometimes we focus on actors specifically, as is the case case with this series and uh, you can find other shows on uh, japanese cinema korean cinema we talk about adults only movies we have talked about ninja movies we uh, put out bonus episodes for you every now and again to sort of increase the value of uh, being uh, connected to our community and uh, visit us over at podcastonfire.com if you have any questions or feedback and uh, if you're a fan of uh, ikin chang or not let us know podcastonfire at googlemail.com we hopefully are gonna have lots and lots of uh, detailed and uh, you know 24-hour marathon discussions of the pros and cons of Ikin over at Facebook as well. We have a discussion group, and it's called Podcast on Fire Network. And while you're on um, Podcast uh, on Fire Network discussion group, leave a like over at our actual page called Podcast on Fire Network as well. We would very much appreciate a like in support. Follow us over on Twitter. We're at Podcast on Fire and. Uh, that's uh, us, essentially. I write about a variety of uh, Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies on SoGoodReviews.com. I put up little small video reviews occasionally at SleazyKVideo.com and I tweet over at, at SoGoodReviews. And of course, subscribe to us on uh, iTunes and uh, listen to us on Apple Podcasts. And uh, if you do like the show and if you uh, subscribe to us and have it delivered to you promptly, do go on iTunes and leave a star rating or even a written comment. We would very much appreciate that. Over to you, Phil. Uh, 2019, um, you're, you're a family man, so you can't spend uh, time on your website uh, 24-7. But uh, still, what's going on here? What's the uh, winter-spring plan for easternfilmfans.co.uk? Yeah, I've been, um, as you always do, and we know, the only way to get things is to put irons in the fire. So I, as once again at the start of the year, I have lots of irons in the fire. In fact, this year, I have probably more than anything else. So I have. I'm actually um, forging actual irons because I'm. Uh, yes, I'm actually forging. I'm actually. I've, I've got the blacksmith outfit already. Because um, I'm a man, damn it. I need. I've got a hammer somewhere. I'll be fine. Um, but yeah, forging away. The uh, Eastern Film Fans website is going to get an update soon, so that's going to have a new sparkly look, as you do. It needs occasionally. I like to just update it something new. So you know, we'll see what comes to that. So look out for that. Um, I've got my YouTube channel, so we've got some more interviews lined up this year, hopefully. Yes, about springtime, April time, I think we're going to sit down with um, with a few people, so watch out for that. I'm still doing the uh, 100 Greatest 
Eastern films, um, and, and that will be done. It will be closed at some point. So if you haven't voted, please vote, because if you want your film to be in the top 100, you need to vote. These are not my vote fans. These are your votes. So you vote for them. You tell me. And if you want Return to a Better Tomorrow, feel 100% on that yeah, list. Exactly. Vote. And they could be. If you like them, vote for them. They could be in there. You never know. But if you don't vote, you're not going to get your favourite film. And so I'm definitely going to finish that project off, and that needs to be done. I got me uh, site being updated, got more uh, video interviews coming um, soon, more irons in the fire. So, yeah, it's uh, it's looking really good, as it always does. We'll see what happens as a year pans out. But, yeah, busy, busy, busy Eastern film fans. And, and obviously, you can, say, drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or, or pop over to Eastern film fans on YouTube and, and give us a like. Excellent. I'm always happy to hear you are busy. And uh, since no one is... Uh punishing you with deadlines and such uh, these are projects that uh, will be completed but um, using uh, your own uh, schedule you know uh, uh, the, the site schedule versus live schedule and all of that so good good man very happy to hear we're gonna take a promo break listen to a promo spot from one of our friends in the podcasting community and after that we'll be back to discuss the first movie out of the eking our series and it's called return to a better tomorrow from 1994 by director wong jing and i will be back in a short bit to discuss that and also by the way to give you a little uh, bio on our lead here to um, give you a sense of uh, who he is and uh, how we started out so uh, you can check bio first and then review of return to a better tomorrow available now on kungfumovieguide.com it's the kung fu movie guide podcast well if you're really so determined to have a fight then i'll oblige that's right be sure to check out the kung fu movie guide for our first season of podcasts available from kungfumovieguides.com my name is ben johnson and you can join me as i have some serious in-depth conversations with some of the leading lights in the world of martial arts movie making from directors to stuntmen to actors to choreographers to fellow writers and bloggers be sure to tune in over the next few months to get your fortnightly fix of all things chop socky Visit KungFuMovieGuide.com to check out the podcast and keep up to date with the site by following us on Twitter at KFMovieGuide. And may Buddha bless you. And welcome back. And uh, this is the first review of this episode for the movie Return to a Better Tomorrow. And uh, we're going to do a plot first and then a little bit of Ikin Cheng bio and then we'll uh, talk the movie in detail. And the plot uh, from HKMDB from user Mr. Blue. So it's uh, he's part of the Reservoir Dogs gang, I suppose. Mr. Blue, Mr. Pink. <laughs> Always amuses me. You know, if you make yourself laugh, then uh, that's half the battle. And uh, I, I make myself laugh sometimes. Uh, I'm sad. Yeah, anyway. Here we- <laughs> uh, anyway, a, a simple plot here. I couldn't have done it uh, better myself because the, the, this is a tried picture. So uh, no, uh, it's not out to revolutionize uh, the genre plot-wise. So here we go. A low-level triad named Lobster, played by Lao Ching-Wan, rises to the top. Uh, of the ranks after his boss Chun, played by Ikin Cheng, is framed for cocaine smuggling and he must flee to the mainland. Chun finds out that uh, the big brother Wei, played by Ben Lam, was the one who set him up. Cue redemption, shooting, and all that. That was my addition because. Yeah, I say you're a bit and all that. <laughs> uh, but, but it's true. It's true. It That's what happens. Okay, we have 
to set the stage a little, I think, even though it's a partly jokey series, it's still analysis per definition. So we gotta set the stage a little bit, a little bit better than we did with the prior actors. Uh, and uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, Ikin Cheng's uh, career. And he's sometimes referred to by his English name Dior, which uh, is more, uh, it was a name he used earlier in his career. There's no English credits on Return to a Better Tomorrow, so um, I can't say for sure he had ditched it officially and went and uh, was going by Ikin in 1994. But uh, some folks, uh, maybe immaturely so, have even referred to him as Noodle Cheng, or Noodles Cheng. And that was actually based on a popular noodle product of the same uh, name. It shared a similar name to his, and, and the fact that he had his uh, trademark wavy long hair for the longest of time. So um, that's, uh, that's a little uh, jokey aside. It's been the butt of jokes, uh, but uh, hopefully he's taken it in stride. But uh, Ikin it is, uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, nowadays, uh, at the age of 51 and all of that. And uh, he came up through TV initially, um, at TVB specifically, Shaw Brothers TV division, including in 1991's The Sioux Mountain Saga, that judging by the name is, uh, you know, probably set in the same universe as uh, Choi Hak's movie, Sioux Warriors from the Magic Mountain. But uh, being a TV series, it probably has more expansive and expanded story story beats and all of that. Uh, Chohak's 90-minute fast-paced movie can only do so much uh, in terms of uh, telling the story of the Sioux Mountains, if you will. Great movie, but uh, they have to they have to keep it simple. Uh, movie credits started to trickle um, in around this time, uh, being um, prolific on TV, including uh, roles in the hostess drama Girls Without Tomorrow 1992. Uh, he is in Wong Jing's Boys Are Easy, among other uh, many other stars acting like uh, crazy persons and it's a wonderful wonderful movie it's the movie if, if you remember it, it, like a sequence from a movie but can't place it phil it's the movie where they have the triad olympics ah. <laughs> and it's a fun ass sequence because they literally they might chase off to each other with uh, machetes uh, during one event or something like that it's actually quite creative and fun and just uh, a blast it's one of my favorite wong jing movies. Uh, uh, he also had a small role in the uh, movie by the same director. He's uh, sort of a street fighter, only it's not street fighter knockoff called Future Cops. Uh, I don't remember the name of the street fighter character because I, I haven't committed the names of the street fighter characters to memory. Uh, I've only played the game sparsely throughout, um, uh, throughout my years and all of that. But uh, it, it's one of those like everyone can see it's street fighter, but Wong Jing and production couldn't clear it fully so they tweaked designs and didn't use the actual names but it's one of those well it's it's street fighter come on uh, but uh, future cops is a it's a minor very annoying classic you know what i mean like it's so it's yes, so proper. stupid but but it's infectious uh, do, do you remember seeing it like once but never again Got it. it's on my shelf first so i can see it from here <laughs> i haven't seen it for years i think i just watched it and went what the and then put it on the shelf and never to revisit it it's um, you know, it's not boring. I, I can tell you that much. No, as I recall, but yeah, it was a bit like what the yeah. Indeed, uh, at the same time, around the same time, so he, uh, as uh, that movie, Inky Chang also had a lead role in uh, today's movie, Return to a Better Tomorrow. So he stuck with Wong Jing before finding Andrew Lau, and uh, specifically the Young and Dangerous series and the popular Chan Ho Nam character uh, that really he became the face of that series uh, it was popular and a box office smash but uh, in my opinion he uh, provided quite a bland performance the character was 
quite dull and not fleshed out as such and uh, no, nothing to me but I'm not the audience for it and I didn't live through the uh, publication of that comic book and all of that but nothing screamed immense popularity and enduring appeal to me but that changed as it got got older and that's what we had to examine sort of but the Young and Dangerous series really did wonders for his career as he was uh, embraced by a young audience that found uh, the appeal of these uh, lead characters they, they found them cool there were young trial punks on film that were not like gritty dangerous characters it was really um pop star triads and uh, it was one of the reasons why the movie was criticized for glorifying the triad lifestyle which i sort of agree with at least in terms of part one uh, not only did he can become the face of this long-running series seven movies i believe and a ton of spin-offs but he was the face of multiple andrew lau movies outside of this series as he uh, took the lead role in other comic book adaptations such as the storm riders a man called hero etc and they, they were all also very heavy on special effects uh, one of those movies that sort of pioneered the usage of uh, modern special effects in um, hong kong cinema and uh, arguably personally i've found somewhat more interest even if it was spotty and uneven because he had you know he had trouble breaking out of the uh, rubber bland presence on film but in the new millennium things started to change you know more bright spots versus uh, sort of the lows uh, uh, happen in my eyes running out of time too showed he was ready for the milky ways brand of quirky cinema he can did the sequel to zoo the legend of zoo uh, the movie which uh, i is one of my guilty pleasures in life uh, he was in the twins effect for dante lamb he had enjoyable romantic turns in movies such as it had to be you versus karina lamb i believe and one of his better and more mature roles came in 2008's Claustrophobia by director Ivy Ho. He put on weight for the horror movie Rule Number 1 for Singaporean director Kelvin Tong, co-starred with Sean Yu in that one. And uh, later on, the Storm Riders sequel, Storm Warriors, dropped. And uh, also one of the more recent credits, and I think we're going to tackle this movie, and it's the badminton comedy Full Strike, which is... Play a playful movie, it plays a former trier that now plays badminton. And it, it's a silly movie, an overly stylized movie, so and it kind of works, you know. You've, you've sold it to me now, I need to watch that. I like playing badminton, it's, yeah, fun. it's like a fun badminton. sport. And as the years uh, went by, you know, a growing comfort and charisma started to appear before me, and it's going to be interesting to see if you find, find if that's the same as we tackle these uh, movies uh, so uh that, that's the sort of movie career of it, all, of it all but he is also a successful singer even though after he moved away from emg and going to eeg he was apparently not allowed to make records under his new contract but he was allowed to make movies with the talent pool uh, in that company eeg so uh, but eventually in his music music career he returned to uh a uh, he changed label to bmg and he seemed to have enjoyed fairly steady success even though his vocal range is not necessarily widely praised but uh, there it is uh, out of his hits the theme song for young and dangerous one translated as age of friendship has stood the test of time it's a popular one uh, during shows he has also used his celebrity for humane purposes such as uh, when he was appointed to be the official environment ambassador by the chief uh, secretary of uh, the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region, Anthony Tseng, in 2002. And he uh, also was connected to the World Wide Fund for Nature, as they tapped Deacon to be an ambassador uh, with focus on marine environment. And there was also a documentary showing uh, Eakin traveling to their uh, whale shark conservation site in 2008. 
Uh, also, uh, furthermore, the final the final little uh, tidbit here, Eakin also published his first book, Looking Into Eakin's Eyes, in 2006. <laughs> 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 and I, I couldn't really get a grip on w- what it is, uh, looking at um, Google and things like that, it was, it, if it was merely a, a photo book or if it was a biography, but uh, a listener Just and... Just pictures uh, of his eyes, you know. Exactly, that's art, man. Yeah. It's art. But what it was, uh, Paul Fox informed me that uh, it combined musings on life written by someone else, but it's Eakin's photography because he's a keen uh, photographer as well. That, that that's featured. So, ah, I see. Now I get the title. Mm-hmm. So not literally his eyes. So he's looking through his eyes at things. Got ya. Took me a while to catch up there, Ken, but I'm with you. It's deeper than you think sometimes. <laughs> uh, it was also accompanied, this book, by a song slash single. So it was a multimedia release, if you will. So uh, there it is. Um, he was not as daring as Simon Yam, because Simon Yam also did a photo book, but it was a nude photo book. So he didn't go full Simon Yam. Well, there's that. I'll tell you what, I'm finding out some stuff today. Guess if our uh, our Facebook friend Jared King owns a copy of the Simon Yam nude coffee book or not? <laughs> yeah, he's bound to, isn't he, Jared? I bet you do, you cheeky monkey. I asked him, and he came back with a photo like a minute later of him holding the, <laughs> the book and smiling like a like a fool. And bless him for it. He loves it. Brilliant. Love it. So there it is. That, that, that's Eakin in a nutshell. You know, he seems like a good man because, uh, and, and not this sort of like, if I put my name to something, people will like me. You know, if I put my name to like humane things, people will like me right now. It, it seems like he did that in his later years a little bit and uh, uh, it seems sincere enough. So that that's always a good thing. You can't uh, you can't crap on someone for that. Nah. But uh, let's, let's get to the movie then. Return to a better tomorrow. Let's do some short opinions uh, first of all. So, uh, Phil G., uh, what did you think of uh, Wong Jing's uh, shameful, maybe, and shamelessly titled Return to a Better Tomorrow? <laughs> it is. But you know what? I, I, I did enjoy it. I, I did enjoy it. I, it harks back to those heroic bloodshed days. I, I love it. I mean, you know, blatantly using that title to draw you in. But you know what? It's a fun little movie. It's it's nothing more. I mean, Ekin, well, we'll see by the end of it, at the end of the review. But, you know, the film itself, I, I quite enjoyed it. I, I, I love that kind of tale of revenge. It really gets me. And um, and looking back on this, it still holds up quite well today from a bloodshed point of view as well. So, I, I agree. I mean, Ekin is not Chiang Fat. Wong no. Jing is not John Woo. So yeah. logically calling, uh, you know, your movie Return to a Better Tomorrow and going with heroic bloodshed, the genre and its tropes could and maybe even should fall flat. But it is a lot of fun. It's overstylized, it's cliched, it's violent, it's melodramatic, it's uh, tragic. So Wong Jing doesn't care if he cranks this to 11. Yeah. Uh, and he's also aided by actually a fine technical crew, especially the action directors uh, stage, uh, you know, two gun action and green violence really well. No one is exceptional here, but no one is doing an embarrassing job at all. And I think that includes Eakin. Uh, so uh, yeah. I, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, before we get to a re- review, I asked friend of the show, Kevin Ma, about the Chinese title of the film, but I, because I thought like Return to a Better Tomorrow in English, you know, it can't have been the idea for the English title alone. And sure enough, the Chinese title is literally new, Better Tomorrow. <laughs> that, that, that's a bar to set for yourself. 
So uh, th- there, there is Wang Jing. I mean, he he's so confident that the outline of his own his profile is in the production company logo. <laughs> you know, that, that's Wang Jing. So okay, <laughs> either dealing with a narcissist or a confident director. But in this yeah, case, he's, you know uh, what you're gonna get. You know what you're gonna get. That's it. And and he's one of those films that gives you everything, as you say. You know, there's there's nothing that stands out. No, you know, everybody, but it it plays nicely for you know. The hour and forty minutes or whatever it's that he's it's on for. So you know, and he throws everything at it, and you know, you come out the other side with a smile on your face, and you know that's what about that's what watching movies is all about. It shows its cards early that that it's one not probably aiming for um, you know being the most artful revolutionary movie ever because. Wong Jing just throws everything we sort of like and love about the genre. We got shouty, loyal uh, triads uh, at our, uh, you know, at our disposal. Lao Ching Wan is walking around with a lollipop, uh, not a match or anything. Walking around with a lollipop and being very shouty and uh, a very loyal brother. And when you cut to uh, the uh, the lair of Ikin Cheng's, because he he is the boss, even though he's wildly young to be a boss. But uh, regardless, I I became instantly sort of uh, comfy because Ikin is in in a red lit loft and there's saxophone saxophone on the soundtrack and Wong Jing is making it cool even if it's not his own at all <laughs> you know but I kind of love that sort of cr- crank it to 11 atmosphere and uh, constantly just throw music at us and stylistic choices at us and uh, and that, that sort of young pup glare of Ikin is not necessarily wow, here's a new giant fat, but it, it's okay. And you get over the fact that my, he's twenty years old and he's head of the triads. Well, okay, you, you, you know, you 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 cost a star. Maybe this is what you have to deal with. But uh, I, I I became sort of instantly infatuated with the mood here, and I don't think it's pure nostalgia feel. I think they they really technically sort of um, went out of their way to. Uh, make this movie an audiovisual experience uh, rather than a cheap quickie shot over a weekend you know i think you're right the way yeah absolutely when you look at it it is stylized in that in that respect and as you say they could have just done anything with it anywhere but yeah there just seemed to be some thought put into it so yeah and i, and I know what you're saying with the overriding of the music in texture and and those kind of things but yeah it has got some style and substance to it it's not you know just throw away places they've thought about it especially like the established like you know apartment and bits and pieces so it's certainly not done you know cheaply or rushed there's been some thought put into how it wants the, the film to look etc so yeah. and and also it's shot in uh, sync sound which is uh, yeah. uh quite helpful because we we get to hear about everybody including michael wong later in the movie speaking english and being called out for speaking english and <laughs> uh, being disrespectful and uh, it's almost like wong jing is also looking back on full contact and really loving that full contact was this uh full-on you know punk rock rock and roll music video because uh, Ching Miao arrives almost full contact style on her bike and there's, ri- there's guitar riffs on the soundtrack it's very bluesy and if you remember the soundtrack from Naked Killer uh, uh, Full Contact uh, Naked Killer actually plays in the cinema uh, cinema scene early in the movie but uh, in Full Contact it was that like there was all the riffs and like wah, 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 wah. and you know Teddy Robin was really going to town and 
Wang Jing, I think, is looking back a little bit on full contact and liking that uh, that assault, that sort of audiovisual assault. So you got you know slow motion, you got blue blue lit alleyways and smoke, and uh, it's it's shot with gusto. And uh, I was curious to see um, is this um, Andrew Lau going to town here? But it's actually uh, the Milky Way regular cinematographer Cheng Siu Kung who shoots essentially every Johnny Toe movie. And if you remember the Johnny Toe movies of the late 90s and onwards and PT, yeah, PTU, yeah, yeah. They, they looked uh, very alive and very stylish. And uh, that's his widescreen scope uh, photography going on here. And uh, it's it's beneficial for the movie to, to have it look this good, despite it, it recycles triotropes, but I never felt uh, bothered by it at all. It, it was all, well, yeah, we'll just um, queue up... Uh, heroic bloodshed uh, tropes and violence and i think i'll be fine and uh, it does so with uh, with impact you know with violent impact and things like that and you're right there, there is a uh, purpose behind that i mean obviously ching comes on the scene ahead you know looking great she, she just it's just that music it's just the music she, it's a company with her for the first half of the film every time she comes on there's this kind of soft core porn music that comes on when she enters it's true it's it's true obviously that takes a turn to the latter half of the movie for various reasons but in the front you see it is the same music but it is like some kind of softcore like porn it sounds very um uh do you remember enigma the the sort of electronic group or person behind enigma it's a little bit like that yeah it did yeah it was that did come to mind at the time, so I thought it's very much like that. Um, but um, you know, she's always uh, always nice to look at. She 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 looks the part, and she's tough, and uh, so she's not given uh, a cheap role as such. And uh, no, she doesn't. To be fair. And 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 also uh, to to sing lots of moments, the standoff between Lao Chiwan and Law Meng, I think, is excellent in the alleyway with all kinds of cool atmos, you know, rain and the lights, and there's a snap to the gunplay as well. It's not stylized where the slow motion sliding on the ground, and boom, 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 but rather there's a gritty snap to the action and the shooting yeah. and the squib work is great and everything's really. Cool, cool, cool and rapid. Exactly. Know. If you're get, do, doing an action movie and stuff and you're looking for a scene to do and stuff, I'd pick that scene up and look at that because you could recreate that and it's really well done and it's really well like So there's no slow man, no, but it's really well put together and it's the way it's stylized, etc. and stuff. And, you know, filmmakers should look at scenes like that just to, yeah, there's a bit of a standout scene that is, that, you know, and look at that and say, look, you can do action shots and look how, look how good that looks. Without all the slow mo and everything else, but just just the action itself, yeah, it was uh, it was very good. For me, the movie survived actually not being very very engaging on a character level because we don't. I, I don't particularly care about the Ikin Cheng and Ching Miao's troubled history as lovers yeah. because uh, she is, has to be content with the fact that he doesn't view monogamy as uh, deeply as, uh, as she does you know and uh, that uh, but it's, it's like very surface uh, and uh, he has loyalty with the triads and uh, chooses that over her and blah 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 but but it, it, it it's kind of fine and uh, you get over that and then, then for me when the character of Chun has to be more assertive meaning that Ikin as an actor have to grab you know scenes and uh, play a authority a little bit more Worked absolutely fine. He's not. He, he's not necessarily. Wow, he's the Fespian being created before us, but he's actually mm-hmm. doing fairly well with the being the triad uh, head, and uh, he has to 
give orders and has to snap into action. So he's not he's not this twelve year old given this role, and it looks um, you know embarrassingly odd or anything, which is odd because in Young and Dangerous, he didn't fit that mold at all. And I don't know if one should blame you know director for that because Andrew Lau versus Wong Jing. I'll I'll, I'll take it. Wong Jing over Andrew Lau any day because at least Wong Jing could make it snappy and make it energetic and you know it's the, the dull nature of Ikin Cheng I can't spot here and it's earlier than Young and Dangerous um, which is a uh, which is a uh, any you know a curious uh, uh, observation you know d- 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 despite not being engaged in the characters and knowing all the triad beats like uh, leaving for the mainland and trying to leave the world behind and all of that and you know leaving the world behind is code for not gonna work and uh, but but you know it, seeing so many cliches in one film was it ever bothersome to or, or it was it just like no, it's it's fun to recognize stuff yeah exactly it's fun to recognize stuff i didn't because i think the the action was pretty you know it, it was there quite a lot of the time as beats in the film and stuff so you like oh the next action piece oh, more action you know the road bloodshed was there and stuff so you were just along for the ride and that's what i said about the, the film from the start it's one of those where you go and you um, love, like, just being along for the ride, so to speak. You know, they were there. They were there to be seen. But you know what? I enjoyed it. I, you know, I am an action junkie as well, so that provides that definitely in spades, this film. Um, so there was always a, another action scene just on the rails behind it to uh, to enjoy. And, you know, that's heroic bloodsheds. You know, you've done it once you've done it. John Wood does it, obviously. There's a style to it and, you know, there's grace and stuff and, and everybody else does heroic bloodshed film. You know what you're going to get kind of thing. There's a few that will bring something different to the genre. But if you enjoy the genre, and as I do and stuff, yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed this interpretation of that. There's a demeanour in the film, but it's also putting a, a certain demeanour in characters. And I think uh, even obvious foreshadowing with Ben Lam, uh, with his face signalling to one of his uh, followers, like, don't don't uh, be obvious about the fact that mm-hmm. you and I are in cahoots or whatever. Ben Lam switching to that glare, you know, that obvious glare. It's actually excellent. I thought he, he just embraced the fact that, oh, I'm going to play a drunk, but he can switch into hmm, a demeanour that says, you know, shut up. <laughs> yes <laughs> but so um you know him and nai singh i think are excellent in the movie these uh these very standard roles that they make the most of because they come with uh, a violent physical edge which uh which the movie does visually as well and uh, pro- probably that that cranked to a leather nature also takes place in the scene where Lao Ching Wan finds his uh, daughter locked in a cage, yeah. and it, it, and it's so over the top. Like she's had, be, she's been abused. She's caged. There's a blue, yeah. blues riffing on the soundtrack, like you read about, and then that leads to that small space brawl between uh, Lao Ching Wan and uh, his wife's uh, lover, and that is excellent. And uh, I, I won't. Uh, spoil it but there's some surprise fatalities here where you realize that this is not it's so disconnected from what john was doing it's more it's more ugly violence and uh the our action directors uh, dion lam and uh, poon kin kwan just do excellent small space work here and uh some um some stunts as well and uh it, it's so early on in the movie that uh, I realized that it, it I don't think it's going to lose its its uh, sort of uh, momentum here. It's going good and it's uh, technically impressive, you know. And it never really switches into the expected Wong Jing 
low-level comedy or anything. It has some fun banter, but it re- rarely does, uh, you know, switch to dum bum ba dum ba dum ba dum 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 comedy now after surprise fatality, and that that's always to be appreciated uh, too, of course. So. Uh, it wouldn't, you know, we, we, without spoiling it, uh, is there any other like boom that action scene stood out to me? Uh, you know, that's uh, or is it the, that shootout we talked of? That's uh, one of your main memories. No, I mean obviously the shootouts uh, I, I enjoyed and stuff. You know, shotguns at the ready, and um, it's quite stylized. You, like you say, the room fight's great. I, I love the way he just put Bruce Lee fo- uh, posters all over that wall. It was a, uh, it, it was a nod, nod, bless him. Oh, and the one picture of us is sliced alone as well. There you go, as you do. But yeah, it's a good fight, gritty in it, um, etc. and stuff. But I do like that um, that bar shootout as well. Did you ever think of John necessarily or think, uh, when watching this? Did, did it ever feel like, oh, this is just like John Woo? Or did you forget about that after a while? No, I forgot about that, to be honest. I, I, you know, I love John Woo. I, you know, I put him right up there. You can really bloodshed. That's what got me involved in it. I put him on that pinnacle, but I don't view others against that because I probably wouldn't enjoy him as much because I just think John's just kind of got it. John Woo's got it. He's just, you know, just give, give me a dove every time. But um, no, I, I no, I didn't. I just enjoyed it for, for what it was. But you know what? He kind of surprised me as well. I mean, it's, it's been a while since I've seen the film, I have to say. And a while, a very long time ago. So I wasn't, I couldn't remember and I didn't know what to expect because I went through the heroic bloodshed movies like, you know, Knife Through Butter many, many moons ago and did the did the lot of them. Um, and I couldn't remember much about it. So it was, he was pleasantly surprised when I especially saw the action and stuff coming across that I really enjoyed it. Yeah, same here. I mean, I got the VHS, but I don't think I watched it more than once or twice. And uh, I was so connected to John that this was a disappointment. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. that's really my fault in terms of like uh, putting everything on the same level and uh, everything must be at the same level. But, you know, the the, the uh, restaurant assassination that comes out of nowhere is really cool. And at one point, Ikin Chang is... Uh, doing a little bit of a you know deceptive game and then comes out boom two guns uh, when you don't yeah. expect it and <laughs> in all honesty it looks pretty cool he uh, he he isn't too light for the heavy action you know no. and uh, he looks cool enough and I, I i think if wong jing had asked his action directors to ape the poetic style of john that would have been a problem, but this is more violence than uh, grace, if anything else. And I, 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 I think that's a better choice. We we have this sort of John Woo bingo going on here with uh, two guns every now and again, but it's not like okay, let's time, let let's thirty minutes in. We need to make sure people know we're copying John. <laughs> you know what I mean? Have two guns, people will like us then, right? But exactly. you know, it, it it feels although it's not its own, but it feels like. Um, Return to a Better Tomorrow might have been almost an afterthought after making the movie. You know what I mean? Rather, rather than focusing on it all throughout the making of it. But I don't know about that. It's clever. You've got that um, the scene just afterwards as well when, obviously, he ducks underneath the, the truck and then shoots him underneath it. That's that's clever. That's a clever little action it's scene. It's a clever that. thing. It might have been reversed, but it doesn't look like necessarily yeah. um, that, that the truck, he actually was underneath the truck and the truck reversed. But it actually looks pretty damn flawless but if it was not reversed then he can did a fairly impressive uh, stunt there going under the lorry and that's what i mean that they're, they're it's peppered with that throughout the movie so 
you know, it's really enjoyable that I've worked Bloodshed side. And like I say, the story goes along with it. They could have called it anything, but they should have called it something different. I, 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 we'll find out box office wise later. But you oh, know. oh, it was not a, oh, it was not a hit. This one, it didn't, it didn't play for very long. It played for like two weeks and made eight million, which I guess is okay for two weeks. But then it was out, so it didn't yeah, um, have staying power as such. Yeah, you can't call a new better tomorrow. You just die some death, uh, return to a better tomorrow or anything else. But, you know, uh, coming back to what you said, you know, I can, yeah, when you look at this movie, he can pull off call. He can pull off call every day of the week. That's easy to do and stuff. But you know what? Like I say, it wasn't that he was a standout performance in, in the film. There wasn't really one. Although I, I do like the sneering of... Um, uh, of uh, Colin Show in it and stuff, and he's blonde hair, bless <laughs> he, he makes the nice villain. Like, like he does that laugh too, like <laughs> yeah, and that laugh. You know, that's I like. I, I always like a decent villain you're up against. So, but you know, you know why a character like a performance like that is better is because they utilize the the physical nature Colin Chow or Nicene can bring. So yeah. it, it doesn't make the movie stray by having him kick someone hard in the stomach you know or yeah. kick someone in the face that 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 makes you sit up whoa holland boy means business yeah holland boy means he's got that snarl to him as well you always kind of see he's got that snarl in his face and he does that in this one um so he's great and he brings it so yeah it's probably uh if anybody stands out he does stand out just because of the hair and Holland boy, and you and you're like, I like a decent villain. If you're going to put someone up against someone, you need a, a, a sneering villain. So yeah, that's uh... and and the, and the action directors make sure to uh, you know literally direct uh, power within such simple things as someone being yeah. kicked. And if you believe the character is dangerous, then 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 good. And then, exactly. uh, then you're off and running, and then you just sit back and enjoy. And and yes, as you said, Ikin Cheng, he's not, you know, he's not an emerging here but he's shot in various cool ways sitting there smoking he's good at anticipating violence the movie's really do, doing a, a service for him and offering him something cool to respond to and i think he responds uh, physically which is again it's sad that young and dangerous is so much more famous and i, I think it's really dull in that one uh, there's nothing given to him um, to him in that one you know, it's probably been a while since you watched uh, Young and Dangerous, but I have a nagging feeling you don't remember specifics about Young and Dangerous as such in him. No, I don't. But this, like I said, there's plenty here. I mean, he goes through, you know, there's a wide range here. There's, you know, there's loss, there's bloodshed, there's, you know, loss of limbs, fingers, precisely. There's, you know, loss of friends. The, you know, there's the action. There's a love interest. There's everything going on in the movie. Like I say, you, you know, one can throw the kitchen sink at him, and you know, he can, you know, picked it up and he, he he ran with it. So it could have been so annoying the way it was cranked to eleven with uh, action and drama and tragedy, but it it really wasn't for some cool reason. I, I think it's the professionalism of the movie helps to a certain degree. I mean, and and also plentiful good lead actors, good character actors. It sinks sound and uh, obviously you got to touch upon the fact that Michael Wong is in this movie as yeah. uh, as sort of the second uh, sort of variation of the lobster character. He seems like he's gonna be like Lao Ching Wan becomes, but he's more of a a little bit of a timid triad member here. He he's not as loud and sort of confident uh, as Lao Ching Wan is earlier in the movie. And M- Michael Wong is obviously uh, why sink sound was invented. <laughs> because you get to hear him speak Chinese and English, and and they they, yeah. they make a you know Michael has always been a good sport because other movies have just in plain sight made uh, fun of the fact that he uh, 
can't speak Cantonese very well. And he, he's uh, run with that, you know, he's rolled with that. Uh, yeah. And, you know, so some triads say to him in the restaurant scene that, why do you speak English to us and you're not giving us face? And then the brawl is on or whatever. You know, it's a good sport. Uh, he he's he probably participates in some of the more laugh, <laughs> laugh out loud and laughable sequences. One I do not wish to spoil because it's a major... Uh, major spoiler let's just say that Wong Jin goes from oh my god you don't do that in movies to oh my god you don't <laughs> you <laughs> this is laughable you don't do that in movies either <laughs> it, it, it goes from dark to light and I don't think it was intentionally yeah. uh, intentionally so but uh, Michael uh, went for it but uh, even light bits like uh, the soccer scene is just I don't know I think Michael is a good sport I really think it's a good yeah, sport the thing with the thing I like about it is you put Michael Wong in the pitch and then all of a sudden Ekin looks like the um, the Robert De Niro of the acting world <laughs> next to Michael. It really does bless him. I I love Michael Wong. Don't get me wrong, but you know he he's uh, he's called um, he's called Duke Simon, which is way better than Duke Lee. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. George Lamb's Duke but you know there's a, there's plenty of cool character actors. You got Paul Chun here as I think the father of Michael Wong. He runs the restaurant, so they they, they throw them in, which is always uh, good, good for the movie. It sings sound, and uh, amazingly enough, again, Wong Jing is no woo when it comes to affecting with harrowing downfalls of characters. And the movie is no statement, has no statement at all, and no real dramatic reinvention. But going with that crank to eleven in terms of its drama and its content is okay, and it's even fun because of how dark it goes and how tragic and melodramatic it goes. I think it's fun, and I think they all realize that. I don't think we can affect, but uh, let's just make one of those movies anyway and uh, have the tech crew. The tech crew really needs to respond to, uh, and it's one of those better Wong Jing movies because it just feels and looks better, even though it doesn't you know, uh, reinvent anything at all. And he has the sense and skill to, he knows what to do to light a fuse under characters and cue violence. And it leads to a variety of, you know, what I call Hong Kong movies, don't give a fuck, kind of uh, <laughs> variety on violence. Oh, God, yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, it doesn't hold back from a violent point of view. Because why Because why soften evil, Phil? Yeah, Exactly. No, no spoilers in terms of that because I think if you watch that, then really, you, you, let's just say don't uh, don't think for a second everyone is safe here. Exactly. Nobody. No, no, no. But but yeah, but, no. but, it, but it's a heavy-handed in a good way, fun way, bad way for you because you, you know the second half offers up so much tragedy and melodrama that it's almost uh, ridiculous. It does, it's a drive. It's heroic bloodshed. That's what you get. That's why it's called heroic and bloodshed because it's that type of film. It's revenge. So it's, people aren't going to make it and stuff. I mean, for God's sake, I mean, if Andy Lau's in a heroic bloodshed movie... He's going to die. ...in trouble. Is he going to make it past the first nope. half of the movie? Who knows? Um, but that's what you get. That's what you find. So you know it's going to be. And that, and that's what, you know, I love about the film and that's what, you know, you love about the, the characters in the end because you want to see the downfall of the bad guy. But, you know, to get to that point, you know that tragedy will strike, you know, once, twice or many times across the way before you get there. And that that's the whole point. You want to, you know, want to feel elated at the end when the, the, the hero becomes triumphant and, and that's what, and that's what's so great about it. But yeah, and, and it's a great, this is a great, you know, entry into that um, genre for people to see. Do you know what I mean? 
yeah, of course, we're going to say John Woo and everything, but why not pick this up and have fun with it? It's, it's very entertaining, like I say. There, there's something to be said from the action scenes there to, for people to take on board as well. And maybe even like filmmakers are looking at it because they're really well put together. And, you know, there's a style certainly running throughout the film as well. So. And, and and even for the end, which I won't spoil, but they they, they reintroduce the fact that uh, some villains are also martial arts able, and I think that that added to the fun that uh, they're dangerous in that regard as well. Uh, that uh, they don't do silly wire work here, but uh, it's still cool that uh, they make these uh, villains, you know, Ben Lam and Nai Singh, d- dangerous in that way. It's one of my lasting memories of the movie. Uh, one character is just. He kicks a barrel at one point, and the barrel sort of either shatters or crumbles. And I always remember that being, "Oh shit, is on!" Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. For one, for some reason, that was one of my main sort of images from watching the VHS uh, from so many years ago. Yeah, it is. Yeah, like I say, it's funny how you pick out images of, of a film and stuff, and just remember just from that scene and stuff. And that's it, that is just a throwaway as well, to a certain extent and stuff. But um, it's amazing what your mind remembers. Um, from from a film that everything, especially this kind of film, um, and come up with something like that. But that's that's pretty cool. M- M- Michael Wong shirtless is obviously my lasting memory nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Hulk smash, yeah, proper. <laughs> and and foot and footy fail, if you will. Footy fail, yeah, yeah proper. It's just people are just gonna watch it just for that. It's epic. It, it's amazing that that is a directed moment, and yet it comes off as Michael Wong doesn't know how to. Uh... And, and also. The amount of bullets, this is what I love about Red Blue Chip, the amount of bullets you can put in someone before they die, it's epic. You know what I mean? They must miss so many vital organ, uh, organs when they get shot sometimes. It's, it's good. You know, it goes back to a fistful of dollars. Uh, that yeah. uh, that sequence where he shoots Clint at the end and he gets up, you know, aim for the heart and he does, but he has the bulletproof shield uh, underneath. Yeah. And you think to yourself, shoot him in the head, shoot him in the head, damn it. Come yeah. on, come on, Ramon, shoot him in the head. We have legs. Yeah. But uh, no, yeah. we wouldn't have a movie, my boys. So, so it's all cool. Uh, it's uh, yeah, we approve of Aiken. He uh, he makes a good impression here. So, no Aiken whatsoever for me. No, no, no Aiken for me. Aiken all the way. Mm-hmm. First film and Aiken. There you go. This is this is starting out really well. I I didn't uh, rewatch the VHS this time around, and I didn't get the uh, UK disc in time for this uh, because there, there, there is a UK disc cheap out there of the VHS yeah. transfer. Uh, because yeah. because we're gonna watch these movies, it's a lot of uh, pause to make notes and what have you. And uh, as much as I love VHS, watching a movie that way, you know, turn it on, turn it off, uh, becomes a little bit clunky. So I needed uh, a uh, online online version for viewing and i'm waiting for the disc version uh, of uh, from the uk uh, but so as, as for availability availability therefore the hong kong dvd by universe it uh, looks to be out of print but uh, the uk disc by mia that in all likelihood recycles their vhs transfer that also had newly translated subtitles that is available and uh, it's available used for under five pounds from the amazon marketplace and that's where i got it from so it's gonna look okay. They didn't do a sh- shabby job on the original VHS transfer, so for that price, go get it. It's actually it comes recommended. All righty, let's uh, do a musical break then, and after that, we're gonna go uh, faster forward to 1996, and not Young and Dangerous, but uh, one of um, 
it's a, one of his most busy years, Yijin Chang. And uh, three Young and Dangerous movies uh, and a couple of others, I'm sure. And then Feel 100% from 1996. Uh, another comic book adaptation akin to Young and Dangerous, but that's where the similarities end. Because this is, uh, as reviews have said, a sort of a Gen X drama type of uh, story as originally conceived and uh, written and published in comic book form but uh, we'll give you some background on the comic book and all of that and tell you all if we think the movie adaptation uh, seems good or not and uh, after the musical break we're gonna uh, review feel 100 percent <laughs> And welcome back. Uh, the second review of this episode of Eekin Hour is Feel 100% from 1996 and plot from the Love HK film review of the film goes as follows. Eekin Cheng is Jerry, a slacker who does something with computers for a living and resides in a brightly colored apartment that looks like a set from Sesame Street. He falls for Fong Fong, played by Jiggy Leung, who looks sort of anime-ish with big eyes and short hair. Meanwhile, Jerry's best buds, Cherry, played by Sammy Cheng, and Hoi Lok, played by Eric Cott, look on while experiencing their own Gen X issues. Hoi Lok uh, Lok doesn't appreciate his faithful girlfriend Man Yi, played by Michelle Wong Man, and Cherry is annoyed watching Jerry and Fong Fong because she likes Jerry too. Big surprise. Anyway, it's all very uh, cute and, uh, and such as uh, these people battle with hearts and heads before the real plot shows up. I.e. Jerry must choose between Fong Fong and Cherry, and in doing so he reaches into the depths of his soul or something like that. Which is a uh, Love HK Films the re- review of the film. They gave it a good review, uh, despite the the, the plot uh, being uh, like this. But uh, we'll get to our reviews in a little bit. Uh, some background, just like the other hot Ikin Chang movie of 1996, Young and Dangerous, Feel 100% was also adapted from a comic book of the same name. It was written by Lao Wen Kit and Yao Ching Yun, with uh, young subjects, you know, 20 somethings, and romance at its core. The popularity of it resulted in four movies, two with uh, Ikin Cheng and Sammy Cheng in the lead roles. It was uh, also out at the same time as Young and Dangerous Free and made about 20 million Hong Kong dollars at the box office. So this mix of uh, cast like Ikin, you know, the comic book appeal, the popularity of it uh, was there and he had exposure galore uh, that summer and first half of the year really. So it was really the year of uh, Ikin in many ways and uh, people went to see these movies. Uh, as for the comic book itself, uh, it was the winner of the second International Manga Awards as late as 2008. And uh, well into its uh, run, the comic book went on export to other Asian countries and territories such as Malaysia, Thailand, Korea, Indonesia, and even to an extent got an English translation for publication in the UK. And if they matched the Hong Kong run of it or, it, or if it had merely a limited UK life, I can't say. And as for the movies, they are reported to be loosely based on the comics and not panel-for-panel panel breakdowns of plots. And uh, you know, each film is reportedly its own independent thing rather than uh, sequelized. So if you watch the sequel, uh, feel 100% once more, you won't be necessarily lost uh, 
Uh, producer and director Joe Ma ha- helmed the first three while he as producer lent his skills to late 90s classics such as Wilson Yip's Bullets Over Summer, Juliet in Love and Ringo Lam's uh, Victim as well as A War Named Desire and also directed a series of successful Miriam Young comedies such as the Love Undercover series. I wasn't a big fan of him as director necessarily, and I still I still am not. But sometimes he broke through as a maker of understated melodrama, and such was the case for the Eason Chan Charlie Choi movie Funeral March from 2001, which I really recommend. It's uh, not the sort of standard tiring terminal disease drama. It's actually very thoughtful. Uh, so I recommend that if you can find it, uh, listeners and you film. Paul Fox, um, and uh, who is a listener and uh, honorary co-host, he shared some notes on the movies and the TV series feel 100%. Yes, there was a TV series, because of, of course it was. Uh, so he wrote to me and said that in the 2001 reboot, which I think is the third movie, or fourth, actor Daniel Chan plays Hoi Lok, which is the Eric Cott role, where um, and uh, Ethan Chan, who had the star power at that time, played Jerry, the Yikin Cheng role. But then actor Daniel Chan ends up as Jerry for the TV drama. <laughs> and uh, and in all honesty, as Paul uh, Paul said, he's actually closest to a manga version in terms of look. So it, it's just Hong Kong madness. I mean, it would be like, but not really, but I'm going to use this uh, likeness anyway. Like if you were to recast Larry Hagman as Bobby Ewing and Patrick Duffy is now JR in Dallas, you know, <laughs> switch around uh, good guy and bad guy, essentially. It would make no sense in the West to do it like that. But yeah, uh, that's where they went. And maybe it was more beneficial to have someone who looks like uh, the source material. Who knows? Not uh, not going to go into it. So enough of that, because this movie blows. <laughs> That's after <laughs> all that. It's, it was no. It don't stand on ceremony. Just tell them exactly how you feel, Ken. I'm opening up like I've never done before. I'm mad as hell, and I can't take it anymore. Now, I mean, it's it, it's sad to not be based on extended stretches of the comics, but it still feels like the makers saw something they liked. They know it played as people read it and just replicated the vibe and shot the same type of cartoony gags and drama. And thought that would be enough. But it's not that easy, Phil, to go from page to screen. Because if, if it was, everybody would be making movies. And this just simply blows, man. It's, uh, I, I haven't read Phil 100%. And uh, it's not necessarily a compelling type of story. But Hong Kong could do sincere drama. But this is uh, uh, this is just bad. And it uh, doesn't make me want to pursue anything else out of the uh, multimedia uh, entity that feel 100% is so a big thumbs down so in uh, in, in short uh, what did you think Phil? Uh, it blows yep of course it does yeah. ah no we're, we're completely on the same page my god that was so bad um, uh, and just just uh, we get a little clarity I watched this first and then um, we turn to a better tomorrow afterwards. I don't want to do this series anymore <laughs> when I watched this first I was like oh my god oh my god how bad can one man suck it was just, I mean, don't get it, not even the story, just just ecking himself. It was like, my God, this is just atrocious. What have you given me to watch? I didn't pick it for its quality. I knew I knew it was bad, but, oh, uh, no, no, you know, you. we Thank can uh, re-examine it with, uh, so I'm, I'm older, I'm more mellow, but no, it still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was, it was that, but I just couldn't, my, oh, 
All right, so let's compose ourselves because yeah, yeah. okay, it tries to be a little bit of both in terms of drama and comedy and wacky and cartoony, but set in the real world. So that's a concept that doesn't land as such. Uh, yeah, because uh, early on you got uh, the pre twenties versions of the characters are played by the lead actors, and they because they're, they're in school now and they're performing a song, and that song is going to come back. Blah blah blah, and that youthful energy by older actors, i.e., Ken Chang, Sammy Chang, and the widely overacting Eric Cot. It looks pretty stupid. It's oh. it's not charming that they they we're young now. It's not conceptualized where they ask us to buy this and think it's funny that they're now five six years uh, younger. And when we cut to adulthood, they're twenty years old or twenty one. Who knows? And Eric caught like keeping beat with the maracas or whatever in a silly way. It just looks stupid, and letting Eric Cot go like that is dangerous. He, he actually, he's not a funny actor, but he could be a good dramatic actor. He's a, he did a movie called Butterfly uh, a few years later than this. He's excellent in that one. But w- when you just leave Eric Cot to do do Eric Cot, then you're in deep doo doo. And, and obviously, the movie then sets up that we're such good friends that no one can fall for Cherry. Like, let's make a not a blood pact. That would have been so metal if they'd made a blood pact, but they didn't. And no one would should fall for her, which is the obvious setup. But this could work, Phil. We talked about tropes and genres, and uh, it could work if they just had the right vibe. But I don't know about you, but I, I saw telltale signs of this just flopping badly, you know, like a few minutes in. I really did. Well, no, you, you, you summed it up quite nicely. Just the opening scene just doesn't do, do the film any good at all because you've got these uh, old actors playing their younger selves, and it just doesn't work. Why? Why do it? Why not make it a comic book? He open it up with the, the the pages of a comic and stuff. Have younger actors there and stuff. They go from page to screen and stuff and start the process and start as you mean. Not just throw the older actors in and them larking about and stuff. It doesn't set it off on the right foot. And this is what the problem with the movie is right at the beginning. And unfortunately, it doesn't get any better um, at the start of the movie that wants you to grip and hold on to it and, and see where and what happens to the characters because really of that opening scene. It really wants to mix that cartoony humour mm-hmm. with uh, us us following likeable characters. Uh, you know, it, it wants to, it's not set in a sort of different fantastic, uh, fantastical fantasy universe or anything, but it still wants to mix in cartoony comedy like uh, they throw a flower pot off the roof and it lands on Spencer Lamb's head and he lies not dead in the streets but you know he's um it's a cartoon gag and that falls flat and uh, but but okay we're we're out of it quickly it cuts to that that the friends are now seemingly working stiffs as the, as the plot says Ikin Cheng does something with computers, <laughs> but we never see it. We never see him work again, essentially, other than yeah. clicking like <laughs> Windows ninety five uh, stuff, you know, on a computer, <laughs> and and that's it. But they're in good spirits. Okay, that's a good development. They're not cynical uh, adult assholes or anything. There's so little that lands here. The, and Hong Kong movies, we're used to them pulling us in different directions in, in terms of we're drama now, we're cartoony comedy now, we're not politically correct, and it can be an infectious thing. But so much just falls flat, like when they want to chat up this girl in the streets, and it turns out she has dentures or just bad teeth, and they run run away in undercranked fashion. It's not enough, Joe Ma, the director, to, ju- to just stage that and hope for the best, because you got to have enough believability 
in actors to sell that. And Eric Cott is not my preferred type of comedy. He's too loud. Ikin Cheng can't put on this smile and thinks he's charming automatically and run away in undercranked fashion. And I, I guess maybe it comes to the central question if this, despite being a story set in an urban environment, if this was even meant for live action. Because who knows, this might play very well on the written page. Who knows, because sometimes uh, that transition might not work. And I have a feeling uh, they were doing it because it played as they yeah, read the panels. Sure. Well, the concept, concept-wise, yeah, it's uh, tried tradition and stuff. You know, boy likes girl, girl likes boy, boy doesn't like girl, girl gets with different boy, boy doesn't like that girl. It's just one of those. You know what I mean? I, and yeah, it works. And of course, in comic book-wise, of course it would do, and it's supposed for teens. Yeah, I'm sure it was, you know, it was a great success, but for to put it onto then onto the screen, you know, you have to be careful. Any any you know, everybody knows that when you're putting a, a comic to the screen, it's gonna be you need to go one or two ways with it, and this just doesn't take any of the ways um, and just just messes it up. People might have loved it because they love the comic books, or you know, um, and therefore were invested in it and stuff. Uh, once you get over the the hurdle of the the first few scenes, and then there's there's another a, a kind of atrocious scene afterwards, where she's kind of the, with this married man and stuff, and it's all a little bit uh, icky kind of thing. It doesn't really do anything for the movie, and and also it tries to it also tries to. Um have a running gag of sorts that in this universe the sort of um, hipster cool way of living is appreciating these movies that are merely shots of uh, fruits for like an hour or two hours they're, they're talking about oh you got the apple movie oh you got the orange movie by that yeah. Czech director and I mean I, I can see where that gag is coming from it's possibly like a little nod to Andy Warhol who I believe did that Empire State Building movie which is just a shot of the Empire State Right, mm. or it's something more re- recent than that. But you you look at that. Okay, you've set up that this movie has a sort of quirky humor. It doesn't seem all that steeped in reality when characters are like, "Oh, you got the, the orange movie on VHS." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the orange movie on VHS. Yeah. But but it's not like dry and quirky in a way that's uh, funny, and it makes the jokes alienating. And what and the movie becomes increasingly alienating because the core of the movie feel doesn't contain likable characters this uh match up and uh, sort of shove shoving of actors together is uh so woeful it simply mm. doesn't work Ikin cheng is not charming looks good on screen of course it's, uh, but the chemistry with sammy and eric Cott, you know that, that those wildly different frequencies that they bring to the table it's not believable even in this light fair that this good-hearted jokey interaction it should equal charm, but it comes off as irritating. And I don't believe for a second that they are, they, they don't feel like genuine friends. Uh, and, and of course, to have constant smiles and laughter and interaction that is uh, good hearted rather than cynical, of course that's good, but it's not charming. And it uh, becomes tiresome and really uninvolving as the friendship evolves. You know what I mean? So, uh, how, was it for, how was it for you? Did it ever come off as uh, charming and believable that these are? Good, close friends. No. You know what? Maybe uh, I'm always an optimist, so I'm going to look on the bright side. I like Sammy Chung. I think she looks great. She's quirky and stuff, but she didn't have the chemistry with Ekin. It wasn't there um, between the three of them, and, and that's what spoiled it. 
the middle of the movie it was okay and stuff because you kind of got into it. You know where it's going. You're following it. You know, it's got all the beats of the drum where you expect it to go. The boy meets girl kind of thing and stuff. And then the boy actually likes girl and, and all that. And you know where he's going. It was, it, it was okay and stuff. But I wasn't invested in it because, like you say, there was no spark with the characters um, and between the three, um, which is a shame, you know, because, you know, Sammy, you know, looks great and stuff. But they just she, wasn't she had not yet found Andy Lau as a cinematic, part- yeah. a cinematic partner in crime. But often needing you or like loving a diet, then, then that would change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And obviously this would probably be uh, from her earlier work, I guess, anyway. So she was finding her feet to some extent, and that's fine, you know, as actress. But the, the, there wasn't, and she looks great on screen. So, you know, I'll watch it just, just for her because I think she's great. But, yeah, there just wasn't There wasn't enough to keep you gripped. And, yeah, there was enough in the middle for me to take interest and take note. But, again, by the end, it had weaned off and I really couldn't have cared less what happened in the end because the characters weren't established enough for me to, to care about them. That it, did, didn't, it didn't give me that feeling that I want to see what happens at the end of the film. Um, I just, you know, you follow the beats of it and, yeah, it happens. It's good. I, I saw some promise early on in the Ikin Cheng and Jiggy Lung interaction. It seemed sincere enough as he asks about her breakup. Obviously, they structure the character as uh, he's been a jerk and then he learns something at the end of the movie. But it's still such a hurdle. It's hard to overcome the un- unlikable factor of the Ikin as a character asks that question and then does the sort of subtle man reach around and attempts to kiss her. And it's and it's so it, it's not even funny. I mean, it's so it, it it's a problem even for this light fair that make to make him so unlikable. And then by the end, where he has supposedly learned something, then that doesn't play at all. Not just the fault of this scene, but it really there, there's nothing there to engage in in terms of well. I'm I'm looking forward to the day when he's a, a better guy. Uh, I I didn't. <laughs> no, yeah. There's a there's a kind of a side plot as well with obviously Eric. No, he's just he's going out with this kind of psycho woman. Christine uh, mm, plays plays. Uh, she wants uh, she wants uh, sort of kinky cemetery sex. Yeah, exactly. So just things like that and stuff. And that was quite quirky. It just it, it didn't. It didn't make any sense for the rhyme or reason and stuff, but you know, it's mildly amusing from that point of view. I, I, I mean, I mean, she asks him to. It was actually a part where I sort of started laughing at some of the demeanor of Eric Cott because she says, he says, like, oh, baby, happy birthday. Like, no, no, say it in Cantonese. Say the dirty yeah. talking Cantonese. And then he does for a while. And then he, then he does Sailor Moon, Sailor Moon, happy birthday. And then, you know, I didn't expect to be amused by that because Eric Cott is fairly unhinged here. And, um, if in all honesty, it was one of the better scenes of the movie because it's almost the right kind of bizarre, even though yeah, exactly. it doesn't really go anywhere. And when when that side story is concluded, I I, I was kind of befuddled. In okay, screw it, I'm, I'm gonna spoil it because you know they uh, go into a suicide pact of sorts, uh, Christine and Eric Cot, and uh, but he gets out of that because. Uh, a scout troop arrives, headed yeah. by Lee UK, which is a t- trope, you know, a triad character actor. He's not in Return to a Better Tomorrow, I think, for some reason. But he's in all those Young and Dangerous movies. Yeah. And then Christine mm, falls for him for whatever reason. And I kept looking at that. I-, I bet that's taken from the comic and it works like a charm. And they sort of try to replicate that. And it just comes off as very strange. 
Yeah, exactly. And then that's the end of it, and that, that's it. Move move back to the story. Like, okay, left bit left field. But yeah, it was mildly mildly amusing. Like I say, I'm the optimist. I'll give you something mildly amusing about the film, and that was it. Does that mean you need to rush out and see it? No, don't. Don't. Unless you're a fan of the comics, I'm missing something. Um, no. I, I, I have no idea to sort of reverse re- reverse my sort of like, oh, if I read it and go back to feel 100%, yeah. maybe I'll feel this is... Uh, High conceptualized filmmaking. I don't don't think it's very conceptualized. It just feels no. like um, let's just do it, and that will be good, right? We'll just have the, the idea is enough. The effort, nah, mm. the idea is good enough. <laughs> no. And Joe Ma and writer Matt Chow, they they they. It doesn't feel very thought out. And I wonder, but I don't know if this was truly acceptable by the diehards of fans of feel 100% if they really felt this was my god they did it they brought brought it to life um, I, I don't know but I have a feeling that it might be divisive so I'm just gonna leave it at that so if you if you know uh, the reactions to feel 100% by the fans of it then, then do let me know but uh, yeah uh, the only other gag I laughed at is uh, uh, but, but not the former half of it was the uh, parody of moment of romance as uh, yeah. Eric Cott yeah. rides on the uh, bicycle uh, with uh, Michelle uh, Wong Man, and he eats um, French fries on the motorcycle, and then he gets uh, red on his face because of the ketchup. So that that's the parody of a moment of romance that sucked. But the fact that they are stopped by the by the police that's funny, because yeah. the, the moment is all of a sudden broken, and he said like sorry sir, sorry sir, sorry sir, we were driving too fast. The, it was almost this uh, Stephen Chow sort of nonsense comedy moment. But again, a moment, and then we get the whole wrap up with uh, the simple template of the friends wanting to stick by their promise but you can't control your feelings that's a good template i don't mind a sincere type of storytelling but when it's not even basically emotionally engaging when they switch into it like sammy chang has this real monologue uh, she's dictating uh, like a letter or a note and it's her true feelings coming out towards jerry and i i couldn't sort of uh, see that that was emotionally engaging for me either even in uh, even in this sort of a surface level rom-com type of way and i, I can enjoy though i can enjoy surface level rom-com stuff and and yeah. e- and Eakin has done such movies later on in his career and they have been charming but i was uh, when i couldn't get on board with the fact that the movie now takes itself a little bit more seriously then it's all a disaster you know a continuing disaster and when it fucking ends on this mission impossible style ending to win back her heart I feel that was so fucking boring. It was. It was get, gather up all their friends and like, dum 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 dum. Plan A, Plan B. And I thought it was just so dull. It was just two notes away from the Mission Impossible theme. Yeah. That was it. But it was, it was dull. You're right. It was just dull. But and that, by that point, I was just like. I, 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 you know, I think it wanted to be like, okay, let, let's let, let's make it alive and uh, comic book in style, but it just came off as, I have an idea, let's shoot that. Is your idea fully formed? Don't think so. Well, that's good enough. We'll do it anyway. <laughs> exactly. And, and like yeah, ma- like Matt Chow is in here, he's the writer, and he's got a silly wig on because he's a hairdresser. Oh, how hysterical. Boo. It just, yeah, bombed at the end. That's what I mean. And, and they show and they show who won in an MV. So yeah. Sammy Chang has a song, and uh, I, I just wanted it to end by that point, really. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I couldn't. I didn't really care at that point. I'd, I'd lost the will 
to live. <laughs> I, was, I was cursing him and all sorts of things. And, and it really because they all, I, I found them unlikable from the beginning, and, and really it, yeah. it can change. And the fact that he then turns into this movie's version of a raging alcoholic is just uh, he walks around like the mtr drinking out of a bottle i have no confidence like oh whatever get over yourself so (laughs) he he wasn't even on that basic level you know i know where it's gonna where it's going and i look forward to where it's going it wasn't even hitting that and therefore it's the story and the direction but therefore he he becomes unlikable as a performer and he's irritating to watch because you you don't really care for his trajectory, this sort of asshole, to then understanding a little bit more about human emotions, you you don't buy that for a second. And because I saw no chemistry between the actors, I didn't really care. So like uh, looking, f- I wasn't looking forward to them embracing towards the end or anything, you know. And that's a problem for a rom com if you don't look forward to that moment. <laughs> you exactly. know, even if it's operatic and manipulative, if you don't look forward to that moment, if you're lost way earlier than that film. But um, and here's the thing and stuff that it, it was doomed from the start, and just at the casting stage because they just casted it wrong. They just haven't got the chemistry. You put two people together, you chemistry well three in this case because you need that third wheel, and you get that right. You know, you can have a lousy a film, so to speak, and so put them in there. But it would work because you, you have the belief in the characters and that's what it's about because that's what drives the film. These three are central. You can do everything you want with them, but you want to see the outcome of the film, whatever else is going on in the quirky and bizarre. You'd want to understand and want to see what happens with these characters. But because you've not got that chemistry right from the start, it was, it was never going to happen. It was never going to work. You were never going to care less what happened between the start and the end of the film because you just saw that they didn't have that chemistry that you want to see, that you that you want to believe in, that wants to take you on that journey, and hopefully, you know. And and it doesn't feel like this uh, real examination of Gen X issues. I don't think it's us being too old for this. I think yeah. it is really not that uh, particularly vivid in terms of its uh, emotional subtext or whatever for these uh, yeah. Gen, X, uh, Gen X type of characters, these 20-somethings. Uh, even though they're way too sort of old to feel like twenty somethings, you know, uh, they feel a little bit too old for that. But uh, mm. anyway, that, that that that's all a cue for the fact that I've, I've had enough of feel one hundred percent. I don't want the additional movies. Don't don't care about the TV drama. But uh, if anyone want to share in terms of if the comic book was more emotionally impactful, then please do. But um, don't uh, don't don't expect me to read it. Genuinely, be interested to know if people have got a comic book and and seen the film what they thought based upon they they obviously the comic book coming first and all that. Whether this was a different movie for them just because they were so elated to see their characters on the on the silver screen. Mm-hmm. It'd, it'd be interesting to find out, definitely for sure. Well, uh, that's a big old uh, aching for us. So it's a one yeah. all. Uh, it's almost tradition that it is, is one all after the first uh, episode. I think it is. You know, it sets out your stall quite nicely. I wish I'd done them the uh, the other way around and started with the gold bomb, but I started with that one. But hey, it's picked up. It's one one. I can we can we can see where this goes. But I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a little bit more critical this time because I do like to sit on the fence. You know me, Ken. But you know what? If we evolve this series um, with Ekin, um as he grows older, I'm gonna see if he's gonna get better because. Return to a better tomorrow masked his acting ability to some extent, and I gave him a pass to some extent because it was a good movie. But you know, 
from an acting point of view, not quite sure. Um, so going forward, I want to see if he's going to improve like a fine wine. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this much. It's not like he's developed into a giant fat, but he's become way better and more comfortable. That's, yeah, exactly. That's my impression from a new millennial. So that's why I'm looking forward to revisiting some of the movies that I thought, oh my, that's... Uh, now he's really cool and appealing to to follow and some of the movies i haven't seen from the last few years to see if um, they're uh, they're any good or not uh, you know uh, if anything is a given maybe it'll be the last movie of the coverage regardless if we know the tally by then because you never know yeah. but the uh, full strike was fun because it uh, it, when you watch the trailer for the badminton movie full strike it feels very dark and ominous mm-hmm. and then it's about badminton yeah, <laughs> and it it struck the right sort of note with me. It's co-directed, I believe, by Derek Kwok, who was the co-director of Gallants. Uh, uh, so okay. you you know he's got the chops to sort of bring playful nature to the screen, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, all good, and he, he still looks great. Uh, he can, he's, um, you know, he's grown comfortable in my eyes, but he's also grown older in a very uh, distinguished way. So. Yeah, exactly. I'll enjoy the ride and um, the journey to to get to that uh, to that movie. I guess so. Yeah. If we were more like a multimedia sort of entity, if we knew how to do these things, we and we if we were a video show, we would review Full Strike while playing badminton. But that's always not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, with the with the with the head cam on with it on your head and stuff. Yeah, talking. not annoying at all. <laughs> oh, well, uh, that would be great. Maybe we could get somebody to do it, roving reporters, just to do it for us. <laughs> And then dub our voices over. Get some people to do it. And then dub us. Way more handsome and distinguished uh, gen- <laughs> gents. Yeah. <laughs> or we'll just take badminton footage from YouTube or something. <laughs> Someone here is a video, ed- video editor. Then we'll record a podcast and then put it on there. And uh, that'll be either a very dull joke or something magical or viral. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. As for availability of Feel 100%, it's currently not an in-stock or in-print title in Hong Kong. Uh, original publisher was uh, Universe. Uh, we had a Laserdisc grip of uh, this, but, and, and it's, it's hard to get for a reasonable price. So, uh, second-hand copies go for, of the DVD go for quite outrageous prices, ranging from 40 to 100 US dollars, which is uh, oh. not very realistic because it's not uh, the special edition in a in a in cl- where the comic book is included and it's in a hard case or whatever and uh, uh it's it's just a dvd so uh, that's rather silly to expect someone to pay 100 us dollars for any basic hong kong dvd regardless of quality but uh, that's what happens uh, with the second hand marketplace sometimes i'm always amazed though that the uh, because I'm, I'm slowly but surely revisiting some of the new millennium Korean cinema that I haven't seen. And you know a lot of that was put out on UK DVD. You can get it for a fiver. Even, uh, you know, big time movies in on a special UK edition. You can get it for a fiver. People are reasonable. It's not like most of these are on Blu-ray. It's just that it's, it's, it's not rational to demand 20, 30, 40 pounds for this. To just sell a random horror movie like phone or cello for a fiver that that makes sense and uh so i don't don't know why people insist that well this must be gold let's sell it for either 40 or 100 dollars that makes sense so so yeah but apparently there's money to be made so if um you if you kept all your covers and inserts and all of that then go to the marketplace and apparently you can earn, earn a buck or two I didn't. I just threw away all my stuff and put the discs in disc cases. That's how how vile I am, Phil. 
You're vile, you are. You're vile. Why do that? Why do that? You just... You bastard, Ken. I ordered Return to a Better Tomorrow, and as soon as it gets here, Case goes case goes away. It goes to the trash. Case goes away. I can't. <laughs> See, I love the case. Just, I just don't have the space note. for it. I, I love the artwork in the cases. I mean, Eureka were making a real effort with their stuff. And, I, you know, I don't you know. throw away the Eureka stuff, I, I have yeah. to tell you, because they, they they contain, like, extra essays and the booklets yeah. are really thick and stuff, but all, all these basic Universe and Maya DVDs, they're not collectibles. I just toss those. <laughs> you swine, can you swine? No, I'm vile. I'm a vile. I'm a bad boy. I'm a bad boy. Oh, you're bad, bad, bad boy. Bad Ken. Bad. It's already been done. Right. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, we're done for the first uh, Eken Hour episode. Uh, we uh, will uh, plot out the next one and uh, get back to you during 2019. But the series is off to a good, interesting start. Thank you very much, Phil, for being on board with it and being a good lad and understanding the concept behind this and uh, responding in a very, uh, very um, cool way. Because I enjoyed these discussions with you. Thank you very much. Uh, and I enjoyed it as always. Thank you. Therefore, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, go to podcastonfire.com. Social media links will be there, and iTunes links and so forth, and any relevant links uh, that uh, connect to the episode. So uh, that's uh, a quick plug, and I'm out. So, Phil, honorary co-host, co-producer, and all that good stuff. So plug away your site, and uh, then, then we're out of here. You can find us at easternfilmfans.co.uk. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Just type in Eastern Film Fans and you will find us there. Wave, say hello. Indeed. So uh, follow all those links and uh, let's uh, regroup for the next Eken Hour whenever it will be. So thank you everybody for listening. I've been Kenobi. With me was Phil G. It's one all. So um, take that uh, with you and uh, prepare for the next one. So Thank you again, Phil. Yes, thank you.